Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Folks, I want to just, um, just spend a little bit of time this morning kind of bringing us all into what I, I sense is the flow of what God's been saying to us for a while. I like to zoom out every now and then and kind of look over the words that God has been giving us. You know, we really believe that when we come together on a Sunday, that the Lord has inspired, whether it's myself preaching or Pastor Andreas or Stephen, that God is speaking to us. He's speaking to us as a spiritual family. And it's very easy for us to kind of just go Sunday by Sunday and hear a word and just kind of carry on with life. Um, I know that Sunday by Sunday, there's generally a nugget or two that we take away that shifts something in our heart. I, I believe and I hope that Sunday by Sunday there's something that actually shifts us to the point where during the week there's things that are changing and over the course of, of weeks and months we, we change and we are conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. We come into greater depths and levels of intimacy with Him, get to know Him better. So I like to every now and then just kind of zoom out and have a look at some of the things God's been saying to us um, and catch the flow you know, some of us, you know, it's like a river that flows by. Some of us kind of dip our toe in the water every now and then. We go, ooh, it's cold. Or, ooh, that water's nice. And we appreciate the gentle trickle. But to really get into the flow, you've got to get in there. You've got to experience it and allow the water to get all around you, uh, get engulfed in it. And over the last few weeks, or over the next few weeks, I want to help each of us catch the flow of what I believe God is saying. Because when God is speaking to us, He's wanting to bring us from where we are into a new dimension, into a greater revelation of who He is, a greater experience of His presence and of His power, a greater effectiveness of His work within our hearts and within our lives and experience. Amen? Amen. Wow. Are we in agreement here? <laughs> otherwise, this is, otherwise, otherwise, look, let's be honest. Otherwise, this becomes a social club where we come together on Sunday mornings for an inspirational message and we go home and nothing actually changes. Now, I don't want that. I believe that the Lord is speaking to us as a spiritual family and that we can together catch the heart of God, journey with Him into greater dimensions of experiences in the Spirit. And I'm trusting and believing for greater dimensions of experiences in the Holy Spirit where so much of what we know in our, in our minds gains life and bubbles up out of us to touch the lives of others around us. So if I sort of go back just from three months ago, I, saw, I preached a message called, You're Not Just a Pretty Face. Remember that? To which you all responded, Michael, in your case, not even a pretty face. Some of us start with a disadvantage. And the point being, you're more than what you think you are. You, there's more to you than just your face, your natural gifts. Why? Because we have the very Spirit of God living within us. To which Pastor Andreas followed up by preaching a message called, Greatness in Every Believer. We went on to from insufficiency to all-sufficiency. And so you can already see a theme or a, a message from the Lord beginning to develop here. Going from the natural who you, who you, and, and our limited understanding of who we are and what we can do into a realm where we are instruments in God's hand, where He can do in us and through us what we cannot do. Pastor Andreas then went on to speaking about the fight of faith and overcoming the flesh and crucifying the flesh, that part of us which is weak, that part of us which brings us down, 
And then I point on, on a series from cliche to character. Do you remember that? Where our heart's desire is to take the things we think we know and all those scriptures we can quote that have almost lost their, their power or significance because they're just something we know about, to bring them front and center into our hearts and lives, to give ourselves to them, to apply them, to actually see them working in and through our lives. The last couple of weeks has really been about intimacy. Stephen spoke about the following closer to Jesus, and last week Pastor Andreas ministered to us on undistracted devotion. I think if you follow the theme and you follow the track, we can see that the Lord is calling us to a place, clearly, always, of deeper intimacy with Him. But beyond that, to greater experience of Him within our everyday lives, not just on a Sunday morning and not just in our quiet times. For me, there's a strong focus on purposeful transition. Transition from what I know into the unknown of God. Transition from where I am to where God wants me to be. Now, what is transition? Transition is movement or passage or change from one position, state, or stage, or something like, or etc., to another. So it's moving from one place, or state, or mindset, or experience, to another. There's a transition that needs to take place. And that involves, who can tell me? The only constant in this world? Change. That's right. Now, what is change? We all think we know what change is, and we do. But I, I found that I don't know why I was led to, to go look at what the dictionary said about it, but when I did, I was blessed because the wording of it really helps articulate and understand what I believe God is trying to do. Change is to make the form or nature or content or future course of something different from what it is or from what it would be if left alone. And that last part really struck me between the eyes. Change is an effect that comes in, is something that happens to make the form or nature or end destination different from what it would be without interference or if it was, had been left alone. Now, I think we can all agree, the past two years have been a time of, of huge transition for all of us. I know for me personally, it's been a time of massive transition. I took over the leadership of the, of the fellowship and two, two, just a little over two years ago now, and boy, has it been a bumpy ride. Uh, it's been a huge transition. It's been way more than I expected to have to deal with, that's for sure. It's been a bumpy ride because all the plans that I had and, and the visions and the things that I thought God was wanting us to do and where I thought God was wanting us to go, God laughed, and he thought that was very funny. And of course, COVID and all of these things. Uh, we've, we're, we're clearly in a time of transition, and I think we all know that we live in a world that is in a state of constant flux and constant instability. No matter where you look, no matter what arena, constant change, and right now, constant instability. There's forces outside of ourselves, both good and both evil, that prompt us towards making choices every day, and the culmination of these choices or these changes is called transition. And so we understand that we're all naturally in a state of transition. Whether we realize it or not, it's a perpetual state. You are transitioning from young to old. All of us. Some faster than others, it seems. But the thing about transition is this. Those who are smart and aware 
can be deliberate about it. Whereas those who are not just go with the flow, carry on with the status quo, bro, you know? They just kind of roll with it. And I think so often in life we can get caught up with the role of it. Just life is going on and the virus is going on and this is what's happening in politics and, and now, of course, there's lots of fun and games wherever you look because now everybody's rallying and having, uh, having their meetings and trying to, to get people together to get people to vote for them. So it's an exciting time in our country. But I think if we want to be smart about where it is that we are going and, and the transitions that are busy taking place in our lives as well as the transitions that God is wanting to see work and, and, and take place in our lives, we can give our attention to it and we can be focused on it. And that's really what I kind of want to put front and center this morning, that we have a realization that whether we like it or not, there's transition taking place. You know, Jesus said it this way. He spoke about wineskins. And I know just, be, just before COVID happened, Pastor Ken Turner, who, you know, our, he, he was our apostolic oversight for many years, felt that we were entering a season of a new wineskin. And I'm not going to go to the scriptures this morning. That's not what I'm speaking on. But the idea of a wineskin is this. The, a new wine, in, in, if you understand the parables, needs to go in a new wineskin because that new wine ferments. It stretches the wineskin. And if the wineskin is old or inflexible, it will tear, it will break, and both the wineskin will be ruined and the wine will be ruined. And the analogy is that the wineskin is you and me. It's the church, the body of Jesus Christ. It represents the structures, our, the way we do things. It represents our relationships, our understanding of how the Lord works. New wine represents the Spirit. And God loves both the Spirit, and He doesn't want to waste that. And He loves the wineskin. He loves His church, and He doesn't want to see that broken. And so what we need to do is we need to understand that we need to, at times, massage our hearts we need to put oil into our hearts, the oil of the Spirit, and get it soft and pliable so that we can cooperate with what it is that God is wanting to do. And this is where our faith takes center stage. To follow Jesus is to be deliberate about the transitions we are making. So we are not just naturally transitioning by accident. We're deliberate about it, and we're purposeful about it. That may take structure. That may take discipline. In fact, not may, it will take structure, it will take discipline if we want to be intentional about it. But the Bible is a story of transitions from the very beginning, and Jesus was a transitional man. He transitioned us from an old covenant into a new covenant. His life transformed the scope of what covenant and relationship with God looked like going forward. And we live in the good of that today. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, speaking about Jesus and the work that he's done of, of transitioning, says, He delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred or transitioned us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so there's a kingdom, a new dispensation, a new understanding of how the whole world works that Jesus has brought us into which means that it's different from the status quo and it's different from the norm. In, in his setting, it was different from anything that had been come before him and in our, because he came into a Jewish setting. But in our setting, it's completely different from the ways of the world around us. It's based on different values. It works on a completely different system and power base. It is not about power that exerts itself from the top down over other people, but it's about a power that works within the hearts of men 
to change them from the inside out. We're so familiar with John chapter 3.16, which says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believed in Him should not perish, but be transitioned into eternal life. Right? You see, Jesus came to make the future course and the future outcome different from what it would have been for you and for me had we been left alone. Isn't that incredible? That's why I said that that definition of change blessed my heart so much. Because if Jesus didn't initiate, if He didn't come down, our fate would have remained the same. We could have tried this and tried that. We could have done whatever we wanted to, but without His intervention, we were all doomed. But yet, because He came in, there is a different outcome that you and I can have. Now, this is true in a micro kind of cosm, in your personal life, in your individual life, but it's also true on a collective or macro scale. The very next verse, which we seldom actually yoke to John 3.16, but is equally as poignant, says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus' heart is for the world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every color, every culture, Dare I say every gender, that's a dangerous place to go perhaps. But yes, his heart is for every individual, every single person. You see, the story is bigger than just you and me. There's a flow of the Spirit that we get to get into, that we get to enjoy, but it's about more than just our own personal pleasure, fulfillment, and enjoyment. There's a flow that... He bubbles up within us and needs to flow out of us and through us. You see, Jesus saved us. He filled us with his life. He filled us with his power. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, as you know, that is just the beginning. And I think very often we get stuck at that point. It was so great. A few weeks ago, Romeo got in the water over there. We baptized him along with a few others. And it was great. Now... It's, I think so often we, we kind of say, right, now I've, I've given my heart to Jesus, I've gotten baptized, I've done this and that and the next thing, I now have my ticket. Oh, got it made. I have arrived. No, dude, you, you, you came to the venue, you, you arrived at that, at that decision, that's great, but actually you only just embarked. And there's a whole new journey and a whole new life that God is wanting to bring us into. You see, through His life, And through his death and his resurrection, Jesus instituted a new body through which he desires to transform individuals and transition individuals and nations and the world into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Does anybody know what that body is called? Wow. What do you think that body is called of believers? Those people that that believe in Jesus that come together quite regularly and through which he wants to change the world. It's called the church. Maybe I didn't articulate. Maybe you knew the answer. I think you probably did. I certainly hope so. Otherwise, I've got a lot of work to do. You see, I believe that God is working 
This is what I'm sensing in the Spirit, folks. I believe that God is working to transition you and I into a deeper understanding and experience and expression of what it means to be the church. I think so much of what we understand about church is very small, is very institutional, very organizational, and therefore we miss the truth of what Jesus came to to make you and I within this world. Now, I'm going to elicit some help this morning from a very famous name. There's a, 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 a Cypriot evangelist who is British. He's, he's a Cypriot British evangelist named James J., J. John. And he tells a story like no other. I love, I love listening to J. John's stories. He comes up with the wackiest analogies. But he gives a fantastic explanation of what it means to be the church and, and kind of what he feels he's a part of. And I wanted to play this with you for you today just so that you could, could see it. Um, and appreciate it as well. So go, go, for, go for it, Siobhan. People often say to me, they say, Jay John, you know, what, what do you do? And it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport. And I said, hello. And she said, oh, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, (laughs) I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? Yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. She went, wow! And it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. If we are a follower of Jesus, then we are part of a global enterprise. But not only is it global, it's intergalactic because it includes everyone that's gone before us. Wow. (laughs) Kind of a different perspective, wouldn't you say? Fantastic. So what, what I want to do this morning, and what I want to start, I want to open up a new sort of theme, and I want to start talking about church. Church what you and I know to be church. And this morning I want to start by laying a foundation of what it is that Jesus meant when he said the word church and when he used it for the first time. And so I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to look at the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And we're going to read from verse 13 through to 18. I'm reading from the New King James. 
but it's good for you to read it to yourself. And, and this is an incident where Jesus is, is walking with his disciples and he's kind of having a heart-to-heart with them. And he's trying to peg where they are at. I think Jesus as their leader is, he's, if you can imagine, he's journeyed with these three. His heart has been to show them the nature of the Father for all these years, all this time. And he has a conversation with them from verse 13. When he came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Pivotal question. That very question that every one of us needs to answer. The question, or the answer to which, is the pivot point of our lives. Who do we say that Jesus is? And here we see Simon Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. In other words, the Messiah, the the prophesied one. We recognize that you are him, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, in other words, this revelation that he is the Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we see a couple of things. Let's stop reading there. We see a couple of things from this portion of Scripture. Number one is that Jesus is the Christ that revelation that Jesus is the Christ is the cornerstone, the very foundation upon which he builds his church. That's significant because that revelation orientates my life. To be a member of the church means, and we'll get into what that really means in a second, let me put it this way, to be born again into the kingdom of God puts me into an authority structure. If I recognize and am willing to honor and subject my life to the legitimate authority of Jesus, I can live and be a part and function in the realm of the kingdom, enjoying the blessings and the benefits of that kingdom, as well as the power and the authority associated with that kingdom. That's why, based on that revelation, our, or that's why that revelation of Jesus is the determining factor. If I... If I do not recognize Jesus as Lord of all, if I do not recognize him as the Messiah, I do not subject my life to him. I do not present myself in worship to him. Therefore, I cannot be a partaker of his nature, his life, and his kingdom. We also see something very interesting, that the gates of Hades, or hell, are not able to prevail against this kingdom. Now, I think very often we we misunderstand this portion of Scripture. We have an idea that hell is fighting for us, and somehow when we come to Jesus, there's this little bubble he builds around us that means that hell can no longer touch us, and the powers and the authorities of hell are are no longer able to get to us. Now, is that true? Well, yes, that's partly true, because Jesus does say, I will never leave you, forsake you. I've got you in the palm of my hand. Yes, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And so there is this idea of preservation and protection. But if you go into your house this morning, or if you arrived, if you were the first one to arrive here at church this morning, the front gate would have been closed. What does a gate do? It keeps out. And so it keeps out of of that which is established. So if you understand what Jesus is saying here when he says that the gates of hell will not prevail, 
In other words, they will not be able to resist the power of this new kingdom. They will not be able to hold, hold it back. They will yield. They will crumble. And so we, we need to understand that the idea of the kingdom of God or of the church is not of some preserved people in a very special little place with, like, a, like a garden with a nice wall around them so that they can sit around a fire and sing Kumbaya. It is rather an advancing body of people going into places to bring about change. People that have transitioned from death to life and now live their lives in order to bring life to bring light wherever it is that God places them and God sends them. So it's a going. It is an influential place. It is a place that seeks to influence or or have an impact in the world around it. So let's define this word church. And the way I want to start is by saying what church is not. Church is not a building. I know we say we go to church, and I've often had this conversation with my youngest, and she finds this very puzzling. We're going to church, but it's not the church. We're the church, but we're going to church. And that's very confusing for a six-year-old. I think we get confused with it too. The church is not a place. The church is not a worship service. The church is not a religious observation, this thing I need to do. I want to say that even down to the very heart of it, the church isn't even an organization. It works organizationally. It has organization in it. But when we say the word organization, we think of, okay, we're a nonprofit organization that does certain things. Church is way more than that. You see, when Jesus introduced the concept of church, he used the word ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia. It's a Greek word. I know us English people normally say we talk about ecclesia. And I always get berated for that from my father-in-law. It's the ecclesia. And it's good to understand that when Jesus used that word, it had all kinds of connotations. And people knew what he meant. So let me break this down for you a little bit. Ecclesia was not, Ecclesia, excuse me, was not a new concept to the people. Jesus used a term that was such an integral part of everyday life that at the time, all hearing it would understand exactly what he meant when he said, I'm going to build my church, as well as what the implications of that would be. So the etymology, in other words, the, break, the makeup of the word ecclesia, is made up out of two sections. Number one, ek, which is a prepositioning to, to mean out of, and kalio, which means to call. And so the church, the ecclesia, can therefore be defined as the called out ones and those who are summoned to assembly for governmental reasons. Now, I want to read you a quote by a guy called Ed Salvoso who wrote a book called Ecclesia, and he, he breaks down the meaning of, of what Jesus said even further. He says this, the Ecclesia was not religious at all. So we need to understand that, first of all. When Jesus spoke about, I'm going to build my church, he's not talking about anything religious. It was first developed as a ruling assembly of citizens in the Grecian democracy to govern its city-states. It consisted of men 18 years or older who had done two years of military service. So in other words, in essence, people who were substantially committed to their city-state. In a broader sense, ecclesia came to mean an assembly of citizens duly convened. And when the more hierarchical Romans uh, replaced the Greeks in the imperial scene, the Romans assimilated the concept. Consequently, 
the general public in Jesus' day understood ecclesia to mean both a secular institution and the governmental system it represented. So it's clear to see that when Jesus said the word, I'm going to build my ecclesia, he had far more in mind than a Sunday morning meeting. He had far more in mind than a group of people who came together to worship. Christ was establishing the system of his government on this earth. He says, I am going to build my called out ones that are going to be called out from the world and are going to govern and rule and reign within my kingdom and to bring my kingdom rule and reign into the earth. Now, the real significance of this term can be more fully grasped when we understand what it came to look like under Roman occupation. Remember, when Jesus lived in Israel, was under Roman occupation. And Romans adopted the same concept. They got it from the Grecian Empire. They, they adopted the same concept, but they developed it into what they called the, Rome, uh, the, Conventus, Con, the Conventus Civian Romanorum which is fancy Latin language, and I'll tell you what that meant. It meant this. When a group of Roman citizens, as small as two or three, were gathered anywhere in the world, it constituted the conventus as a local expression of Rome. Even though geographically they were separated from the capital of the empire, Rome itself, and the emperor, their coming together as fellow citizens automatically brought the power and the presence of Rome into their midst. Isn't that incredible? So when citizens of Rome came together anywhere, because they were the dominant, it was the Roman Empire, they considered the, they ruled the entire world, everybody else had to, be, had, to, had to be subject to Caesar, who was like a god to them. Whenever they came together, they would constitute that as part of Rome, And Roman law, they would enforce Roman law, Roman principles in that place. They would live the Roman way. It's called colonization. But what I think is really interesting is when we understand the context of the setting that Jesus was in, and he said that I'm going to build my ecclesia, that that is the kind of thing he had in mind. And it gives a whole new meaning and perspective to what he said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 where he said to his disciples, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You see, that statement, when we understand it in the light of what I just shared, takes on a whole new meaning, a whole new power. Jesus is not just saying there's warm and fuzzies happening there. He's saying my very power, my authority, and my kingdom are there. In the same way the Romans do it, this is how it's going to work. And it's going to work through my church, my called out ones that are being separated from the systems and the kingdoms of this world to live for me and represent me within the world. You see, Jesus was trying to teach us that whenever we come together in his name, that, his, that the power and the authority of heaven are available and in, opera, and in operation among us. That's the wonderful joy of coming together like this and having times of worship. Because we really get to sense that power. We get to sense the presence of God in and among us. You see, wherever you and I go, we need to go with an understanding and a realization that the power and the presence of heaven, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit are both available and operational. That we carry them with us wherever we go. 
And it's, this is the first concept of what it means to be the church. And that's all I really want you to truly grasp today. It's a very simple message. I think we've heard it so many times. We, we understand that God is with us. But this idea that God is with us, if it doesn't go beyond us, if, if it doesn't go beyond the fact that God is with me to help me, to give me grace, not to punch my associate in the face, to help me understand what I'm doing, to help me be patient and kind and loving. If it doesn't go beyond me, we've lost the meaning of what it means to be the church because we've lost our impact. We've lost our influence. We've lost our significance. That's why Jesus says, if, if salt is no longer salty, what is it good for? Nothing. No, you don't become a light and then hide away. A light doesn't exist and emit light just for its own benefit. No, it's for those around it. And I believe God is trying to, and and is working, is at work, to transition you and I into a deeper understanding and experience of what it means to be the church. To know the effect of what it is to have His presence in us and among us in an experiential way. To move beyond the, if you will forgive me, cliché of church... And the cliche that gentle Jesus is with me wherever I go. And to understand that when you step into your workplace on Monday morning, God is sending you there to be Jesus, to be light in that place. That he is with you and he longs to work through you in powerful experiential ways if you and I will avail ourselves to it. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. You can follow on the screen because we're going to read from the, the Passion Translation. It says, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished, and behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us this ministry of reconciling others to God. You see, that was Jesus' primary ministry, to reconcile you and I back to God. And he has given us that same ministry. That doesn't happen by accident. We don't just go into places and suddenly people start returning to Jesus. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world. I love that. And as as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips, so we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. What Christ had in mind when talking about building his ecclesia was a relational and governmental body founded upon the truth of his lordship, of his divinity, that was commissioned to bring the ethos, the culture, the nature, the power of the kingdom of God into the earth and to reclaim all that was lost to sin. All that was now being held behind the gates of hell. 
You see, folks, the power of our message is not in our words. The power of our message is in His presence. And I want to play you another short little clip by the same guy, Jay John, who is just having an interview with somebody, and he's talking to this person about the larger discussion. It is about evangelism. And he says, you know, so often we can get into arguments with people. That's obviously not what we're talking about here this morning. You try and win people to Jesus. You try and win arguments. You try and win things. But I want you to see where this, where this interview goes and, and where it ends off. And then we're going to close for the morning. Real yes. faith must be communicated in a fresh way. Yes. And by speaking to groups where you cannot, or to people where you cannot rely on those well-worn tracks, so yes. to speak. You, you cannot go there. You have to find fresh ways. And somehow, only then are you actually able to communicate. Because otherwise, yes. people can hear it and not hear it, so to speak. I, I agree. But sometimes I think, Eric, you know, you can argue and it, it's stalemate. And you can't, yeah. you're not going to win this. Yeah. Uh, on my last trip back from Singapore, the, the flight was midnight, left midnight from Singapore. Uh, get on the plane, and um, so you've got to wait until it kind of goes up before you can go to sleep, really. So I've been on planes before. You've been on planes yeah. before. Right, I'm, so I'm just giving you the, kind of the detail. <laughs> so, and, um, so I, I then think, right, okay, I'm going to go to the restroom, yeah. and then I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. So I go to the restroom, and uh, one of the stewards says to me, oh, hello. And uh, as I'm waiting to go into the restroom, he said, um, uh, holiday in Singapore, work? I said, oh, I'll work, I said. And uh, he said, oh, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a, I, I'm a motivational speaker for behavioral alteration. Remember, this is 1 a.m. now. I, it's just short. Let's cut it short. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, whoa, I have to speak to you. Oh, I have to speak no, to you. Don't. And I'm like, I need to get to sleep. I need to get to sleep. Anyway, I, I go to the restroom. I come out. He says, we've got to talk. It turns out he's the purser, right? The, the chief guy in charge of, you know, the pilot's in charge of the plane, but he's the oh, chief Oh, on the purser. plane. On the plane. He's the purser, he's not the purser. No, purser. purser. So then he starts asking me questions. And uh, he, uh, so I said to him, listen, you know, I said, do you believe in God? He goes, no, I'm a free thinker. I said, listen, there's nothing free about your thinking. And, um, so that, and then. Except I, they got a laugh then. Yeah, 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 yeah. But listen, so then I'm getting so tired, I thought, oh, I haven't got, I have to, I'm not going to argue with you. So I said, listen, can I, can I say a prayer for you? And, uh, nobody had ever prayed for him in his life. Okay. So I put my hand on his chest and I pray a simple put prayer. Put your hand on his chest? Yes. Yes. Like this. Did he have a cough? Well, he didn't actually. No. And then, and then I prayed a prayer. He was so overwhelmed by the presence of something, it totally blew him away. Okay? But I'm tired. So I said, listen, I'm going to go to sleep. I'll talk to you later. Okay? I go to sleep, wake up four hours later. He's standing. <laughs> Waiting, he says, Mr. John, we must talk. He said, what was that? I said, well, that was the presence of God. He said, I want that. 
I honestly, I can tell you stories like that all over the world. I've argued with people and it's stalemate. But when they've encountered the yeah. presence of God, they've understood. Thank you, Siobhan. That's the conundrum because I think... Simple, right? And I think that is just how simple we should keep it. I think so often we overcomplicate this. But I believe that's just a small example of what it really means to be the church. It's to, it's to understand that wherever you go and wherever I go, the presence of God is there and there's an opportunity to be led by His Spirit. Now let's be honest. I don't think Mr. John was being led by His Spirit there. I've been on airplane flights and, and I'm not the friendliest person to sit next to. I'll greet you. I'll say hello. I'll offer you a sweet. That's kind of my modus operandi. And then I hope to goodness that you just leave me alone. Because <laughs> I want to watch my movie. I want to sleep. Uh, a lot of guys get on a plane and they put on a t-shirt that says, ask me a question or can I ask you a question? And they, this is now an opportunity to have a captive person next to them. To bend their ear, that's great, that's just not me. And I think Jay John there, with all his flying that he does, that was probably not him that night either. But yet the kingdom of God broke into a man's life. And he encountered something that changed him. Now we don't know the full outcome of that story. But you see, you and I carry the presence of Jesus Christ with us everywhere we go. The very God who created the universe. The power that saved you and the same love that caused Jesus to come down from heaven to earth to save you and me to hang on that cross abides within you and is reaching out every moment of every day to every single soul, not only that does not know him, but souls that do not know him rightly. They've not encountered his love yet. They've not encountered His grace. They need a word of encouragement. They need a word of upliftment. You see, for you and I to be the church means that we live our lives and we go about our days not just with an awareness of the presence of God for me, but I'm aware of the presence of God for you. What could it be, Lord God, that you want to do or say through me today? Could it be around the boardroom table. Today, these days, it's probably, could it still be through the screen? <laughs> could it be in a meeting? Could it be the lady that I'm walking behind whose shoelace is untied, and I can stop her and just tie her shoelace for her? Say, can I just pray a blessing over you while I'm down here? <laughs> just, and see how the Word of God can do. See what the power of God can do. See what the kingdom of God can do to and through you in small Little acts of kindness in small little ways that are infinitely powerful. Now, as we talk about church over the coming weeks, we'll talk about some structural things. We'll talk about finding our place in the body, understanding that I'm not just a part of the body so that I can be blessed, but that I have gifts that the body needs. And we speak about the blessing that comes that way. And we'll talk about probably alignment and, and, and we'll talk mission as well. 
But where I wanted to land us this morning is to understand that when we talk about the church, when Jesus had in mind is that you and I would go about our daily lives so aware of his presence that we would be willing to usher that into the needs and into the occasions that he presents us with. And we're ready for it. We're looking for it. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be big. But we have to be willing. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.